0: Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club.
1: Now, here's John. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am super excited about this show and this interview. But before we get started, we have a few announcements to make. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but there is a big giant help wanted sign all over the club. So if you have somebody that needs a job, interested in a job, please head over to AudubonMembers.com. And there's a little link there where you can find out more information about the jobs that are available. And there's a quite a variety of positions that they are hiring for. Also, uh, August 16th, Badlands Off-Road Adventure, hosted by Brett Harper from the Kart Track and Kyle Nato. And uh, it is a, uh off-road course, off-road area, you might say. It happens to be just east of my house, just across the border in Indiana. I live down oh, an hour and a half or so down between Bloomington and Champaign. You just head down 74 across the border in Indi- into Indiana. That's going to be super exciting. Ladies Day is back, August 14th. Again, com. Check out Talk Around the Track. If you're not getting that, make sure that you get a hold of uh, Sarah And uh, she can, Sarah Gimbel, she can make sure that you're on the list, S-A-R-A-H-G-I-M-B-E-L at AudubonCC.com. And we just want to make sure that you're receiving all that information and the latest uh, events that are taking place. Cart licensing. Yeah, if you're a brand new carter, you do need a license before you go racing, and they hold schools and classes on that. Uh, check out the link there at audubonmembers.com so that you can find out when that is, where that is. Talk to Alan over at the Cart Track or Brett at the Cart Track, and they can get you squared away from that. Uh, upsc- upcoming social events, yeah, there's a few more things that are taking place this month, and so please uh, get involved in that. They are so much fun, uh, I, you know. For the interview, I have waited a long time for this. Uh, I needed to know more about Spec Miatas. I needed to know more about Ben Irwin. I needed to know the history of how they got started, where they came from, and some other things that I hadn't even thought about that I didn't know I didn't know. Well, this show is, uh, well, we got a lot of information on it. So Ben uh, Merwin, he's a new member of the club, and he is also the owner of Advanced Motorsports. They are also brand new to the club, the newest race shop, which brings our race shops to four. Come through the registration desk, turn right, and you head over to the north side of the track, and you can find their shop over there. We talk endlessly about Miatas. As you can imagine, uh, their shop is, uh, specializes in racing, and one of the things they specialize in is racing Miatas. So um, you're not going to want to miss this. You know, if you listen to the podcast here, you're smarter, you have a better life, uh, you are happier. Yeah, all those things can happen if you hit the subscribe button and listen to the show on your favorite device, your phone, your watch, your computer, um, your tablet. All those things are available to listen to this radio show which specializes in interviews and that's about the people, the places and happenings and things at the Audubon Country Club and this show is no different. As we welcome... Ben Merwin, member and owner of Advanced Motorsports, to the Audubon Country Club podcast. Welcome to the Audubon Country Club podcast. I'm your host, John Graybill. Joined today with Ben Merwin. Yep, and uh, from Advanced Autosports. That is me. Thanks so much for being on the show. Are a legend right <laughs> sure <laughs> a legend in uh, uh spec miata and racing and everything else uh, but there's no better place to start than the beginning so how did you end up at the audubon country club podcast here on july 16th of full track friday
0: um yeah so there's kind of two beginnings to the story um I guess I'll start all the way at the beginning. Um, Advanced Auto Sports has been in business for 23 years. Um, It was started by my late father-in-law. He actually originally started uh, the business with Trans Am Racing. Um, He owned a Mac Tools franchise and uh, started meeting different shops and different people that had race cars in the Chicago suburbs. Um, Started helping Wrench on the weekends. And had a bunch of guys that bought all of the former uh, Ford Roush um, Mustangs that were running Trans Am to kind of continue pro-racing them in Grand Am in the late 90s. Uh, So he, you know, sold his business, quit his job, and was their crew chief. Um, And that's kind of how it started, out of his garage at home in Lake Zurich. Um, After about two years, he rented a space... um, right off Route 12, again, in Lake Zurich, and then in 2005, uh, bought the building that we're currently in out in Beloit. Um, ironically, I've been around since the beginning of the business. Uh, my wife and I started dating shortly after high school, about six months after we'd started the business, but I went in a totally different direction, um, and actually... Graduated from college with a math and computer science degree um, and then worked as a superintendent in the construction industry um, back when the money was really good and everybody was buying houses. Um, and then in 2008, when the housing market crashed, um, I didn't know what I was going to do, Um you know, wasn't like I could find another job. The whole industry was devastated. And Dave called me up and said, my business is growing and I've been meaning to talk to you for a while about coming to work for me. And that's kind of how I entered the picture. Um, so I feel very blessed that I got to, you know, be mentored by him and learn the ins and outs of being in the racing business for the first, you know, 12 years um, until he passed away of cancer about two and a half years ago. Um so that's kind of the, the quick abridged version. Uh, he built one of the first spec Miatas in the country for himself because he couldn't afford to race Trans Am cars. Uh, and one car turned into five, turned into ten. Um, and currently, you know, we have a stable of about 60 cars that we take care of. So it's just kind of organically grown over the last you know, 15 years as the class has grown.
1: So yeah, that Spec Miata I saw this weekend, right? The very first Spec Miata he built is still actually up and running?
0: It is. It is. Every time, the car's been bought and sold like three or four times, and every time we sell the car, uh, we always got first right of refusal to buy it back. Um, about four or five years ago, we bought it back and kind of turned it into a rental car. Um, you know, it's nothing special. It's just another Spec Miata, um, but it has survived the uh, the time. So, yeah.
1: That is amazing. So so when was the first year of Spec Miata racing?
0: Um, first you know? year of Spec Miata, that probably would have been like oh, 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. Most of those cars started as ITA cars. Um, What's that? What's ITA? Uh, it's uh, just touring cars. So oh. it would be you know other small bore production cars in SCCA racing in SCCA, in SCCA racing correct.
1: there's a uh, so sports club car of america racing there's a division that's
0: uh, ITA so I-T-A. it's Im- improved touring so <laughs> improved touring, touring cars that are modified slightly um yeah most of those cars ran as ITA cars and be- the Miata became the kind of dominant car in ITA um and then a number of people got together and said we should turn this into its own class um, you know, and Dave was on the rules committee and helped write some of the rules and at the time, um it's amazing how we've deviated from that a little bit, but at the time the idea was put a cage in it, put a suspension kit on it and go race it. Mm-hmm. Um and really try and be the, the most affordable kind of entry level way to get into competitive road racing.
1: Would you still say that that is the case where it is um the least expensive to get?
0: Yeah, I think it still is. I think at the heart of the class, that is, um, you know, all the rules have been kind of centered around that idea of taking a production car and putting a suspension kit on it and a roll cage in it and doing all the safety stuff. Um, These cars are, instead of being a couple of years old, now they're 20 plus years old. So most of the guys building new cars, I mean, we're doing full mechanical restorations on the cars now just to keep them competitive that you didn't have to do back then. Um, you know, in the late 90s, even a six car would have been a five-year-old street car. You would have right. run sure. it with the motor that it came with and, again, put suspension in a roll cage and gone and raced it. Now it's a 20-plus-year-old car that's, if it's survived, it's got 200,000 miles on it and it's rusty and... um so, you know, the level of build quality has gone up, but it still is in the heart of the rules that it's a production-based car, that Mazda did it a great job of designing from the beginning, um, you know, that kind of stands on its own, that we do a few things, but we go out and race them. Do you think, I asked this question, uh, it came to my mind when I was
1: down at Sebring watching my son race down there this year, and... Do you think that, you know, when I saw 72 spec Miatas coming around, by far the biggest group racing down there, at an SCCA race. Do you think that, um, I assume the designer is still alive. Do you, I mean, I'm assuming he's still alive. That, I assume it's a he or the group that designed, he or she that designed it back in the 80s, right? Its the first car was the ni- 1990.
0: Yeah, so if people don't know the the history of the Miata, this it's kind of interesting. So the chassis for the very first Miata Um, which came out in 1990, um, was actually a Lotus Elan. So Lotus was designing their new version of an Elan, which if you Google what an Elan looks like, it's surprisingly similar to a Miata. And Lotus filed bankruptcy, and they auctioned off all of their engineering for their new car. Um, And Mazda was the highest bidder. Um, And kind of in a perfect marriage, you took a fantastic handling British sports car and you put a Japanese motor and electronics in it and you got a, a great combination of, you know, the British handling cars with the reliability of the Japanese, you know, motor and electronics and stuff. Um, you can even take that one step further. The original design for that motor was designed to have a turbo on it. Um, and Mazda decided they've never had good luck with turbo cars. um, so they took the turbo off of it, and it's got some things like oil squirters on the pistons and they're relatively low compression, uh, which all just add to the fact that the motors are very bulletproof and they can kind of take what we dish out to them.
1: Hmm. So we go from uh, uh, a British car to uh, Japanese production to massive racing in the United States. I mean, p- people... Uh, I have heard that often say that Miata saved saved amateur racing in the United States would you agree to that statement Um yeah
0: no I I would definitely agree to that I don't know um you know maybe with the exception of like the spec racers uh you know with SCCA enterprises you know I I think one of the biggest problems in racing is a lot of times we spend extra money to make these really cool cars that it doesn't really matter um I had a customer once tell us that two kids in their radio flyers going down a hill is racing. Um, You don't go out and drive some souped up, you know, fancy car. And if you don't have anybody to race against, you're just driving around fast. You're not actually racing. Um, And I think that really is the appeal of the spec Miatas is that you're always going to have somebody to race door to door with. Um, Even though the lap times may be slow, it doesn't really matter if they're all even. (laughs) So I do uh, some magic in my life. And there's a,
1: a, a friend of mine who has a podcast, uh, uh, Scott Wells, um, has the Magic Word podcast, a little plug for him. He actually kind of helped start this podcast. And he has said, if you're a magician and not performing, you're just fooling yourself. <laughs> and so I guess that equates to what you just said. If you're, if you're a race car driver and only drive, only driving yourself... I guess you're not ready. I, I, I could come up with some
0: cool little saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when Dave, when Dave started the business, you know, and he was racing himself, he ran an um, F production Mustang. It was a four cylinder notchback, uh, it was an 87 Mustang. Um, and he, he said there were, you know, whole seasons where he never really had anybody to race against. And he'd win a championship at the end of the year, and it was kind of, you know, meaningless. <laughs> Um, And everybody knows there's always classes of cars where, you know, if you just want to get the trophy, you can go find a class you can race in where you're going to get a trophy. Um, You know, but Spec Miata being one of the most competitive classes, it's also become, you know, a really popular class just for driver development for that reason. Um, And that's one of the things I've seen most that's changed in the last couple of years is you see more and more people who get into the class – with goals of going on to something else, um, and they plan on just running these cars for a couple of years to develop racecraft and things like that.
1: Do you agree? I mean, right? There's there's options options for a young driver, uh, which you know, in my family, that I have two young drivers, a 17 year old and a 14 year old. Right? So we we talk about driver development constantly, and what car is the best, and I. Would you agree that a Spec Miata is an out... I mean, there's other options, but a Spec Miata is an outstanding beginning car?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they're relatively cheap to fix, so the risk is lower. Um, and you could show up at any track on any given weekend and have somebody to race against. Um, especially starting off, you know, talent level-wise. Um, you know, even as you work your way closer and closer to the front, you're always going to have somebody that you're racing against.
1: Yeah, Uh I assume the largest group of racers still to this day
0: is a Spec Miata group. Is that um yeah. I mean by all estimations, there's three to five thousand Spec Miatas around the country. Um, wow. so yeah, it's definitely the largest group. Don't see that going anywhere. Um, you know, you may see as the cars get older and more expensive to maintain that a certain percentage of people are gonna move into other things. Um, but just because of the car count that's out there, I mean, I think it's it's got another 10 years where people are still going to be out there racing them in large packs. Um, I actually just saw this morning the uh, national championships at Indy this year. There's over 90 Spec Miatas registered just for that race. Holy cow. And did they go on the track at the same time? Uh, SCCA's rule is you're limited to 25 cars per mile of racetrack. Uh, so there will be 72 cars that take the green flag all at the same time for that race. Um, and then the remainder, there'll be a kind of a consolation race um, for people who don't meet the qualifying times. Oh, so
1: you're going to have to qualify for this race. You're not necessarily going to, Oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah. My son has already sent me emails about <laughs> registering for that race. Uh, so, um, so the, with this, with the spec Miata as you're, how much has that changed? i mean we already we talked about it you you at what point and we we buy race motors now for spec Miatas, at what point in their development did it go from just the we were just running the motor that it came with to to actually guys coming out and de- design I, mean, I, I shouldn't say designing refreshing are they
0: designing the motor or are they i mean so by rule um you know spec Miata has one of the kind of most invasive and most serious tech when you get to the top level. And by rule, if you read through the motor rules, um, you know, these cars fall into kind of a weird window in manufacturing practices where there are a decent amount of variations from the factory, just in the performance level. Um, You know, most modern cars, the machining is good enough um, that they're all really close, but you may see cast adjustments and things like that. So, uh, what, what is often referred to as blueprinting um, is allowed, which is essentially if you went out and you took 200 motors from the factory and found the best one, you can now build every motor to that rule. Um, but the rules are such that even a built motor is still built to factory specifications. Um, so I'm sure it's like anything else. The first guy that did one and had a little bit of a competitive advantage, um, you know, it, it just started to permeate into the class. And, and like I said earlier, you know, these cars are 20 years old, so you, you decide you want to build a car, your chances of finding a low mileage donor car are getting harder and harder. So majority of the field is running built motors.
1: And, uh, as far as the variation, so we have the first, uh, liter motor that was from 1990 to 1994, right? 93. 93, and then 94, 95, 96,
0: 97 had a 1.8 motor. Correct. Yep, still in the early body style, yep. They didn't make a car in 98. So the new body style that was released in 99, um, and one of the reasons they're a popular choice currently... Um, is they released the 99 model year in like March of 98. So they actually sold cars under the 99 oh. year for 18 or 19 mm-hmm. months. Um, and it was the new body style, so they sold a lot of them. So they didn't
1: necessarily skip a year. They just came out, they just call, started calling them.
0: Calling them, them 99s because it was the new ah, body. But they, yeah, they started releasing them really early. I see.
1: And then that body style went. To two thousand five, two thousand five, yeah, and I only hear of Spec Miatas up to two thousand. We have a two thousand. We have a ninety seven, which my son loves. Is that N? So they go N A is that first group. N B goes to ninety seven. Then N. Well, no, no, a- no, no, no. So
0: N A is the, the for people who don't understand the the lingo, I guess. Um, similar to how Corvette does their you know C five C six. If you look at the VIN number of any Miata, uh, the first five letters are JM1NA or JM1NB. Um, so the NANB kind of nomenclature, that uh, has to do more with the body style of the car. Uh, so the NA cars are the 1990 to 1997 okay. cars. But within that, you do have two different motor variations. Um, and then the NBs would be the 99 to 05s, and that's the non pop up headlight style cars. Which, uh, among kids, just to let everybody know, 17 year old kids think pop up headlights are the coolest thing in the world. Maybe automatic retractable <laughs> seatbelts will be cool again, too, from the, from the 80s. I don't know. <laughs> I love it.
1: Um, so, I see, so, like I said, we, we see 99 mostly spec Miatas or 99s, um, 2000s, we own a 2000 also uh, as a spec, spec Miata. I've never seen a 0, 1, two three four five. So the
0: 01 to 05s is what's often referred to as the the VVT car. Um, so that's variable valve timing. Um, so body style is real similar. Uh, they did like a bumper facelift, so the headlights and front bumper look a little bit different. Um, but otherwise, they do look identical. Um, and they had a variable intake cam, Um and all these cars with all the different versions run at different weights with different restrictor plates, so they should all be competitive amongst each other, um, at least on paper.
1: Uh,
0: up to 2001 and over, they have the restrictor? So the 01 to 05s have a different size restrictor plate than even the 99s and 2000s. Oh, I
1: yeah. see. I see, I see. And, so, then, and then up to, so now there's a new uh, Spec Miata division called S- Spec MX-5, right? Correct, That's, Yep. That's where I, mean, I would love to see. There's what sixty, seventy Miatas here at the Audubon Country Club. I'd love to see everybody say, "Okay, well, we'll we'll buy a brand. Let's all upgrade because we're again we're just a thirty year old car." Right? So, Ma-
0: yeah. So Mazda, you know, d- did some development on a new class um, that they're calling Spec MX Five, and that's the what they would call the NC car. Uh, so that'd be the 06 to 2015 cars. Um, in the Midwest, this is the first season where they're running races with those cars. Uh, last weekend, we had a race at Road America with 12 cars. Um, so that would be the NC body. And then the ND, which is the one that's still in production, that would be the you know 2016 and newer cars. That's what they run in the Global MX-5 Cup Series, which is now part of IMSA. So you can stay in the, the Miata family and kind of work your way all the <laughs> way up to, you know, pro-level racing, um, obviously the cars are different with the different generations, but...
1: Yeah, and the new... and the, Okay, so <laughs> this weekend, uh, I was standing around a 10-year-old young man, and I said, hey, what's that car? He says, oh, that's a cup car. And I said, I, I, I don't have any idea what that <laughs> means, but he knew and then rode his bike away from me after he told me that. So a, a cup car, a cup car is just something
0: that's in a division where you win a cup, like the Hudson Hornet? No, yeah, kind of. So, so the, <laughs> the full name would be the Global MX-5 Cup. Um, so there's a whole pro-level racing series. Uh, last year they were affiliated with IndyCar. This year they switched over to being part of IMSA. Uh, so they're one of the support series races that travels and runs at all the IMSA weekends. Um, and those are all 2016 or newer Miatas. They all race against each other. Um,
1: do they have to be a factory-built car? For they, that?
0: they do. For that particular series, they're all built by one shop. Uh, it's actually Fliss Performance. Um, they're out of Daytona. Uh, it's actually the same owner as Spirit of Daytona that's done a lot of pro-level builds. Um, so if you want to run that pro series, you buy the car turnkey from them um, you know, and go run it in the pro series. Uh, there are a number of people who've bought those pro cars Uh, to run in club racing or run at Autobahn. Um, In SCCA, that would run as a a Touring 3 or a T3 car. Um, But it really is geared towards, you know, everything being the same for that pro series.
1: And uh, to give the listeners an idea, so I bought my first Spec Miata. Uh, Very fortunate that I scoured the countryside for it, and I bought it for $6,000. And that's the one my son will not let go of now, i got to tell you. (laughs) There is a lot of uh, additions that we have made. I mean, again, that was, once we got it here, we, you know, put it back to a spec Miata type thing. But it was a built race car. So pretty lucky. We go all the way up the spectrum to the M- Global MX-5 Cup cars. We're talking $100,000, right? Uh,
0: yeah, they're running a sec- they're running a of sequential gearbox. By the time you do some wheels and tires, yeah, you're low 90s. Yeah. So, so yeah. Qu- quite a range of...
1: of quote-unquote, spec me out of racing. And do you see that global M- – a- a- in your business, which we're going to talk about, it? did you see more people discussing those, the cup the the, M- the spec MX-5 division? Is that becoming more popular, you think?
0: Um, yes and no. I, I, it kind of depends on what your goal is for racing. Um, I think – Mazda is very committed to grassroots racing, and they do a lot of different programs to entice people to race with a Mazda, Um, whether it be parts discounts or uh, contingency payouts. You know, there's a lot of things they do, Um, but just sheerly because of the price point, I think somewhere down the road, we will see some of those newer cars running in an Autobahn series or in club racing, maybe not in exactly the same form they're in now. Uh, You know, those cars have only been on the road for a couple years, so I think when you start to see the used car market, um, you know, get more affordable, people will start building those cars into other classes. I know here at Autobahn, um, there's a number of, you know, what we would call NC or ND cars that drive around, whether it be in a GT class or, uh, you know, people that are starting to experiment with building those cars into a race car, uh, because it is a great platform um you know and and the rule set is really what dictates how much money you have to put into converting the car Hmm.
1: Hmm. interesting so uh when is do you remember the first race you went to
0: first race i went to so uh while i was working uh you know construction and obviously having been around with with Dave and his daughters and being around racing. Uh, my wife and I were actually the co-chiefs of a grid for Midwestern Council. Um, so I was exposed to all of that and kind of as a worker long before I got involved, you know, in the business side of things. Um, as a spectator. Uh, yeah,
1: that's what I meant more. Yeah, as a business.
0: spectator, I went to the Indy 500 when I was seven or eight. Um, and you grew up in northern Illinois? I grew up in Buffalo Grove, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, The now as you – so I, I wanted to mention um, Midwest Council is a Midwest racing car club group association, You know, much like SCCA, but maybe just on a, on a more central – Yeah, place. on a little smaller scale. Primarily runs at Blackhawk. Um, Blackhawk's another racetrack that's just – Cross the border into Wisconsin, right? Yep. Um, yep. Is that it's in
0: Beloit? Uh, it's in South Beloit, so it's actually in Illinois. The track is. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't barely know. by about a half a mile.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. The so
0: joke is, if you go off far enough at turn one, you will end up in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> I went off
1: the track so far, I went, out of the, I went to another state. <laughs> I always joke, I ran a race a couple weeks ago, and and uh, a couple months ago or something, and they said, how'd you do? I said, I got 14th. They said, oh, that didn't sound too bad. I said, there's only 10
0: cars. <laughs> you go, oh, that's bad. Yeah, that was bad. So, uh, um, I think Midwest Council's actually uh, run here at Autobahn before, I believe they did last year. They did years ago, and I think they're trying to come back, so...
1: Yeah, well, uh, you're a member of the Audubon here. So when 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 is the first time you ever heard about this
0: this racetrack? Now was it pretty early on when you were? Um, I remember, you know, Dave talking about it. Um, it was right before I had even started working for him. Um, you know, he knew a lot of the people in the racing community, and uh, in, in all honesty, he was kind of skeptical. But you know, his he was privy to some knowledge that they were trying to put this place together, and. Based on the location, you know, I think he was kind of, like, unsure whether it would work. Um, you know, we've always kind of had a connection with Autobahn. Um, you know, we've serviced customers' cars who've been down here since the very beginning. Um, obviously, most of the founding members were people involved in the racing community that we knew, and, um, you know, we've bought cars and sold cars, and just never had a you know an onsite or a little more physical presence until recently.
1: Yeah, so let's uh, I guess let's talk about this. So so advanced auto sports. Um, Dave Wheeler, who who started it, you know, has the definitive book. Right, what's the name of the book?
0: That... It's the Spec Miata's Constructor's Manual. That's right,
1: the spec which I have, and that was everything that you needed to know. Page it's a spiral bound book that has everything in there about. You know the rules and regulations and how to uh, how to get going and set the car up and everything. Um, so you guys were doing that, uh, you know, pretty early on. Obviously, at the inception of this style of racing, uh, as you develop, you know, cars. What exactly does your business do? I mean, let's start at the beginning. I mean, anybody. I remember talking to. it was very kind when we first started getting into this. I had a nine forty four to begin with, and I hadn't converted over to the spec Miata yet. Um, I mean, you're a one-stop shop, right? I call you up and I say, I don't know anything about racing. What do I need to do? And then we're in your hands.
0: Yeah, okay. so, I mean, our, our business model is uh, road racing service and prep, um, which is essentially, you know, I'm, uh, we're not going to work on your street car or your drag car, but, you know, road racing is our specialty. Uh, and there's certain fundamentals that carry over from one class to another. Uh, I would often tell people that, You know, while Spec Miata is our niche, you know, that's not really the business model. Um, You know, if you wanted to go road race a Toyota or a Honda, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's nuts and bolts and some of the same fundamentals about how to set up a car. You know, there's a lot of carryover. Um, One of the things that's made Spec Miata continue to blossom with us and our business is – You know, I carry a fully stocked truck with all the spare parts. Majority of our customers are what we would call arrive and drive customers. So it's guys who leave their cars with us, even if they own it. Um, And we load them up in the semi trucks, take them to the track, uh, service the car for the weekend. um, You know, fix anything that breaks, prep it for the next weekend. Um, If you were trying to get into this on your own and you went out and bought a car, everybody thinks that's the expensive part. Uh, but if you don't already own a pickup truck, you need a truck, and then you need a trailer, and then you need to put spare parts in that trailer so that you don't have to just go home when something breaks. You can spend just as much, if not more, on that, Um, you know, or you can run through us, and, you know, maybe on the per-weekend basis it's a little more expensive, but it takes a while to kind of break back even on that upfront cost.
1: Right. Yeah, tools, no not to mention just the know-how of of trying to get it up there. So yeah, well, you have a wide variety of things. So I get a car, you know, you you help facilitate in in may, you know, get into races and and tracks and join the SCCA. Um uh let's talk about your staff for a second. How many people do you have? On uh race? we have seven full-time staff. Seven. Yep. And uh on a race or I saw some we went up to Road America with you guys this weekend, so I saw some guys I'd never seen before. That you
0: yeah, I mean, I have some flying guys I can hire just to help for the weekend. Um, you know, our again, to what we said earlier, these cars are reliable enough. Uh, Dave and I used to joke all the time, um, with the Miatas, I try and make sure I have at least one crew guide every three cars. And when he was running Trans Am, they had three crew guys to every one car. Because <laughs> um, everything was breaking all the time. So... You know, and that fits into the business model. That's what helps keep the costs affordable. Um, you know, that you don't need to have quite the same staff to maintain the cars. You know, if I have twenty cars at the track and I don't have enough staff, there are guys. You know, I can call in to help just on the weekends. Um, and
1: and so yeah, so your services from the from you know building, maintaining, uh, updating, checking checking the cars over, uh, and you know full. You know, putting new motors in it, transmissions, suspensions, uh, alignments, setups, yeah, everything. Um, In addition to that, you had already mentioned your race prep services. So, uh, Gray Beal Racing, the first time we were with you was in Sebring, Florida. Yep. And so you you bring a a semi-truck in, and uh, we had our car already there, uh, but you could have brought our car from Illinois down there and had it for us. We ended up keeping our car down there. In, in Florida for the winter but yeah you have a tent you provided food um, again walking through all the things necessary to get the car on on, on the track you know from equipment and gear you got to get it inspected and all this stuff that I didn't know uh, you guys held my hand and and walked walked us through. Uh, we were lucky enough, we brought uh, Rick Casey Jr., who's one of the coaches here at the track, and he, he joined us uh, for that first race, and he was an immense help. I mean, I went into it completely blind, and uh, he was immense, um, an immense help in addition to, but we still needed help from you guys. I mean, they are just directing all that yeah, stuff. Yeah,
0: there's, you know, I think probably the two biggest obstacles to this sport in general, uh, the first one is you don't know what you don't know. Um, and there's so many ins and outs between car prep and even just license, you know race licensing and how yeah, an event yeah. functions, and there's no real good resource on how all the di- these different organizations function. Um, so sometimes just having kind of a mentor or somebody that can walk you through that process. Um, and then obviously the second obstacle is you know, usually the upfront initial investment. Um, for somebody who's never driven a race car before, you know, it can be daunting all the things that you need to get started. So, you know, we found a couple of years ago, uh, that the biggest obstacle is getting somebody behind a wheel for the first time. Um, and once you get them there, you know, the the sport sells itself. Um, but if you, if you got to go out and buy a truck and a trailer and a car and a suit and a helmet and, um you know or join a country club or join, join an organization I mean you can have hundreds of thousands of dollars shelled out before you ever turn a, a lap on the track <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. you know we really try and make that initial experience as painless as possible and then the sport sells itself
1: yeah I mean, for, I, mean I mean we met one driver there who would never driven before and he Showed up uh, at I think your first race down in, for the season was down at Homestead, and he showed up and he rent you can we can rent a car for you we rent a, and I've had a conversation with one guy where well, you can't rent a race car, <laughs> well you can from Advance Autosports you're yep. rent a race car so you just you know get your own helmet and a race suit and a few other things that we just mentioned and then yeah the car is ready to go you just show up and drive the car yeah so, and we've
0: had a number of people that rent the car a couple times just to make sure this is what they want to do and then once they're hooked then they decide I'm going to buy my own car or I'm going to do whatever um or like we said before with development I've had a number of customers that rent a car for a season or two that have goals of going and racing you know higher horsepower Corvettes and Porsche's and BMW's and they realize that they'd be better off renting a Spec Miata for a year or two and learning some racecraft and then stepping up into you know what they ultimately want to be racing
1: right uh which brings kind of like your ad uh, your uh, Expansion from your original shop there in Wisconsin to—you live in Wisconsin now. Or you live in, now? I live in Illinois. I live in Illinois. I live in Illinois. Um, so, your expansion of your business to a location
0: here. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think as Audubon has grown, um, you know, the, all of the other service providers that are on site, um, you know, do a great job. They all have fantastic reputations. Uh, But I think it got to the point where there was just some space and staff limitations um, to the point where people were trailering cars up by us to get work done in between race weekends, or if they lost a motor or had an issue uh, and couldn't get in somewhere else, um, you know, so again, we had a relationship with a lot of customers ahead of time. Um, and our goal was never to come in and be competition from a standpoint of like taking customers away from other shops. It, we already had a customer base. And by opening a location here, we could service those customers you know, more conveniently um, for people that are on site or primarily do their racing down at Autobahn. Um, my ultimate goal too, uh, I think, it makes you a better racer if you experience other tracks. Um, I'd love to see more people who still, you know, are invested in this community here uh, that maybe want to go run Sebring and, or run, you know, all the iconic tracks, Road America or, you know, Mid-Ohio. Um, and we could pick their car up from here and load it on the trailer and take it somewhere else, especially when the club's closed for the winter.
1: Yeah, yeah Graveo Racing did that. You know, we wanted to haul our, our camper up there for everybody to stay in our camper at the track at Road America. Our first experience here this last weekend. It was fantastic. It was my favorite track. I haven't driven it yet. It's killing me not to drive these tracks. But, um, yeah, you guys took our car up there. Uh, we got out of the trailer, and it was ready to go, prepped and everything. And we just jumped in, and uh, uh, my son drove it right into the wall. It so was great. <laughs> Great. The first, and then like, we fixed it, and then and, he went faster. And then, he, and then you fixed it in um, uh, a couple hours. And you're right; he did go. He went very, very fast. But he did. <laughs> it was it was uh it was fantastic. A great great combination of uh, uh, it, it was fun. It was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun up there. I, I mean,
0: I I, I I remember you know a little story. So Tom Roberts, who's one of the members down here, we were up at the the June Sprints at Road America two or three years ago. Um, and he broke a subframe on the test day Uh, and he was parked next to us and he was getting ready to load his car up and go home. Uh, you know, it was something he either didn't have the, the willingness to do an involved enough job like that or the know-how or the spare parts or whatever. Um, and I remember looking at Tom and saying, Tom, it's the June sprints. Like we can, you know, we can get that fixed. And, uh, You know, one of our crew guys and him laid under the car and changed the subframe and did an alignment at the track, and he was back on track the next morning. Um, You know, I think in a lot of people, there's a big investment in going and running these races, so to just turn around and go home, you already bought a hotel room, you already traveled, you know, you kind of need to have the ability to fix the stuff on site, Um, and that's really where we try and shine at the track.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, I try, I tried to help. I tried to, you know, I'm, I'm a hands-on guy. I tried to get in uh, your mechanic, Marshall, who took care of that car for us that day, and he did a fantastic job. And he's, no, I got this. I got this. And, <laughs> and he did. He took a big sledgehammer to quite a few parts. And uh, <laughs> next thing you know, but I didn't seem to mess the car. I'm like, I said, nope. You you put a nice uh, setup and alignment on it in a in a way uh, my son went, and um, uh, we came away from that very. I was very, very happy with our outcome that that weekend. I was uh, was pleasantly surprised. Um, So, yeah, we can't wait to do it again. Can't wait to do it again. And, uh, yeah, so this – so normally when the track's not open, racing starts in January. So you haul cars down to um, Homestead first down by Miami. Is that generally how it's every
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know – In the off season, when the stuff is closed around here, uh, we typically try and do like one big race per month, um, give people an opportunity to race that, you know, can't do it around here. So in January, it's the first weekend after New Year's, there's a SCCA majors at Homestead. Um, And then the very next weekend is another SCCA race at Sebring. And just because of the travel time, we try and sell people on the idea of, you know, the transportation costs are less, we stay down there. Uh, so we can bring your car down to Florida for two weeks and do, you know, two different tracks on two back-to-back weekends. Um, so that's kind of how we start the year. In February uh, we usually go out to Coda which is another one of those iconic tracks people want to go to. Circa, Circuit, of the Circuit of the Americas in, in Austin, Austin, Texas, yep. And then in uh, March we go to Road Atlanta. Um, and then by April things are back kicking around the midwest so yeah pretty Um, cool uh yeah it's um
1: and oh you got a family too right
0: i do yes so uh i have three children um 10 year old daughter nine year old son and an almost four year old son um you know as as part of opening the shop down here you know we had to become members of Audubon, which has been great and uh, now my son is begging me to buy a Go kart for the go kart track, so um, it, I guess it all comes full circle. Well,
1: I'm your man. I'm, your, I'm I can really help you out with that. Uh, I know those go karts. In it, as long as it's the the uh, ignite go kart, I know the ins and outs of it. I know that I can do a perfect setup on it. I can align it for you in my sleep. Uh, anything I can do to help with that, we would we. we
0: we love go-karting here. It's it's so much fun. So the, the irony of the small world, so because of our close relationship with Mazda, um, you know, Mazda does a bunch of scholarship opportunities, and uh, every once in a while they come across some of these kids where they want to see their talent on track maybe a little more than they've been able to see. Uh, and one of those kids is Alex Bertinoli, whose dad is the one who runs the go-kart track. Um, so before we were even members... Mazda had contacted me to rent a car that they were going to pay for to put the kid in as like a tryout. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then came down here and did some go karting with my son and realized the the connection. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, it's a very small world and, uh, you know, love to see the local kids out there trying to pursue a career in motorsports and see what they can do.
1: Yeah, very cool. Um, So, I I did... One thing is, I watched your. What's your youngest son's name? Jackson is the young one. Yes. Jackson, yeah, I remember him. Uh, you were you were uh, last weekend uh, talking to a, a race car driver, and he was just climbing all over you like it was a jungle gym. And I remembered but now my son's taller and bigger than me. He's not going to climb all over He'd smash me if you climbed all over me.
0: But, <laughs> and I was just watching him climb all over you, and I was just like, man, I miss those I miss those times. So we we joke in our family that them. my older son is going to be the engineer and the younger son will be the race car driver, but we can't tell them that right now. But <laughs> based on their personalities, I think that's what will happen. That's kind of the way it's uh, leaning. Well, thanks,
1: Ben. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no, thank you. uh, Amazing amount of history of the Spec Miata. Uh, I'm sure that that's not all. We'll probably have you on again to dive into some more topics in more detail. But uh, best of luck here with your new endeavor here at the club.
0: Yeah, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.